0: Previously on two star two track. In the back of my head, it's like, oh. And I was like, I love that for Morn. (laughs) (laughs) It's great. Morn is
1: the best spy on Deep Space Nine. Right. And you have like actual spy
0: Garrick, (laughs) who is not on Deep Space Nine at this point. And he still went to his mother's birthday party. (laughs) What a good guy. What a good guy. Which which made me question
1: um, the Dominion's hold on Deep Space Nine, so the fact that they're just like, yeah, Marnie, you can (laughs) leave the station to go to your mom's birthday. Were they just (laughs) allowing people to kind of go back and forth? Greetings, friends and fellow Trekkies, or should I say, Pally. That's my favorite word from Vic Fontaine. He calls everybody Pally. It's so good. Uh, This is Two Star, Two Trek, an in-depth look at Star Trek Two-Parters. We are closing out Deep Space Nine, and it is
0: bittersweet. (laughs) Tonight, we will be covering What You Leave Behind, Season 7, Episodes 25 and 26, the 175th and 176th episodes of Deep Space Nine, and also... The last ones, Pally. Yes. Unfortunately, uh, before this recording,
1: we, Caitlin and I, have not had time to watch the documentary of the same name about Deep Space
0: Nine. Our, our, our Deep Space Nine palette cleanser will be a documentary about Deep Space Nine. <laughs> right. Because we
1: have no Star Trek on the
0: docket right now. It's very weird.
1: Uh, we are joined, of course, by three fabulous guests to help close us out on our time in the giant olive garden in the delta quadrant alpha quadrant alpha quadrant
2: you're (sighs) thinking of
0: that other show we'll get there voyager is a is a floating olive garden (laughs) (laughs) they have the hydroponics lab it's a whole thing that's true we have derek
1: justin and katie joining us this evening all three of you thank you so much for joining us Katie, how are you doing this
3: evening? Oh, doing well, Ryan. You're right. It is very bittersweet. I am ecstatic, by, but also on the verge of tears. So, it's fun.
1: <laughs> yeah, I cried like three times. Uh, Justin, how are you doing this evening?
4: I I mean, I feel like David Lynch, after he had two Cokes and a cookie. Just, wow! Uh, it's, it's so exciting. I've seen this. I've, I'm very connected to DS9 this is a star trek i've seen a bunch this is an episode i've seen a bunch and it just never fails to just completely destroy (laughs) me and this time this time was absolutely no different it's the best we're doing our favorite talking about star trek
1: fantastic and derek welcome back i am eagerly awaiting to hear all of your hot klingon takes (laughs) that you are the klingon master of these parts how are you doing this evening derek
5: I'm doing good. I'm uh, I'm super bummed out that I'm never going to see Garrick and Star Trek again, though. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, that's really uh, that's really got me down. So I'm glad to be with y'all, and we'll talk about this whole Deep Space Nine thing, as bittersweet as it is.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's really good. I think it ends on a on a high note, and it's actually really weird. Um, Netflix, which is, I mean. It's 2021. This is how we're all watching mm-hmm. it. Uh, Netflix actually has it listed as like an eight-parter. <laughs> it's like part one of two, part what? three. part Yeah, it has it listed as an eight-parter. Eight-part eight-track. That's track. wild.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> that, that, that's the next series, obviously, is that you just talk about the last season of DS9. But yeah, I had completely forgotten this, that it just like fully leans into serialization in the last, like, 10 to 12 episodes. Yeah, it's insane,
1: and really, really good, and it it definitely, I think, helps, uh, helps set the stage for the finale, but, like, at the same time, like, I was thinking about this as we were watching it, specifically compared to, like, the finales of, like, Voyager and TNG, because it's so serialized, at this point, when you get to the end, it's just, like, you have all of these plot threads, and you just have like a checklist. And it's like, okay, we gotta resolve this, we gotta resolve this, we gotta resolve this, we gotta resolve this. As opposed to, like, TNG's ending where it's just like, alright, one last ride, what do we want to do? And I think it's like just two different modes of storytelling.
0: Well, and I think the thing with DS9, too, is that you know the thing holding this, you know, I-95 rest stop (laughs) in the sky together is the fact that it it very quickly became integral to what turned into a war effort, right? Right. I mean, even in seasons one and two, where we're like, "Uh, something's something's off about, like, this location in space. It's, like, strategically important. There's all these things kind of happening around it that are a big deal. And then, of course, in the war effort, it became an even bigger deal. And so you know that, like as opposed to something like a TNG where there's, you know, these threads that get started and resolved and started and resolved. And, you know, you've got Q through the whole thing, but Q's kind of this amorphous, you know, there's not really an end goal with like what Q's is bringing to right. the table in, in the TNG of it all. And so with, with DS9, you know, that there's this, this conflict that's brewing for the first several seasons and then it explodes and then you need the resolution. And it's very clear that, you know, the writers, I mean, then they had fully admit this. um, The other writers came in and said, we have a story that we want to tell. It has a beginning, a middle and an end. It's highly satisfying as a result. And, you know, when you realize at the end, when this conflict that has, has held them together has passed, they're all going to move on to the next stages of their lives. And that's really cool to see. And it's, it feels good in a way that a lot of series finales, I think have to manufacture some of that, but with DS nine, it felt, it felt very natural. Mostly. There are a couple things. I mean, we'll get to some of the stuff that's kind of clunky. Uh,
4: yeah, it's absolutely. And it's, you guys have nailed it. Like T the TNG finale is very meditative and it's very kind of introspective while the DS nine finale has to be this huge uh, denouement for all of this plot stuff that's been set up in the in the series before. But then also, this is why DS9, I think, really pops for me and did back in the day. It's just like, I'm getting brand new stories every week, and it's all building towards something huge. And this was the first time for me, like the fact that like it's not only showing a Federation at wartime, but it's showing a Federation at wartime that's getting its ass mm-hmm. kicked mm-hmm. constantly. Right, like, they are always on the back foot. The entirety of DS Nine, like basically until this final, like maybe maybe even the final half of the 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 last season, like those mm-hmm. maybe like parts six through the finale. I guess I don't know, but it's like you're you're not only seeing this organization that you have. One idea of throughout two shows. Now it's been completely retextualized. It's been prodded at. It's been poked at. It's been like reflected on. It's been deconstructed. And now its final bow is just like, well, okay, fight for your place in the galaxy. Like, why is your way the correct way? And why is your way the way that's going to save us all? It's just the best. And then also you get fire (laughs) caves, I guess. (laughs) <clears throat> we'll get to the fire caves. Katie, what did you think?
3: The thing with DS9 is the storytelling. When you have when you have an end goal and you're not forced to stretch it out to make uh ratings or to make contracts continue on and on, you end up with something that's mm-hmm. quality because you have that beginning, middle, and end, like the writer said. And that's why DS9 is unique within the the world of Star Trek, but even within what we see on tv now everyone is pushing for season 9, season 10, season 11. I mean, how many of these crime dramas or medical dramas are on season like 18? Like yeah, for what? Just, right. <laughs> for what? You're saying you're doing the same <laughs> right, thing over like, and over again and yeah, there's character development mm-hmm. and yeah, there's fabricated drama, but it's not it's not authentic and it's not grabbing. And I say that as a person who has loved crime and medical dramas but can also Critically critique it and say it's it's not great TV. <laughs>
0: no, no offense to anyone who's a fan, but I recently found out that Grey's Anatomy is still on. That's the That's exactly air,
3: what I was thinking and of. I
0: watched I watched that show fifteen years ago in college. Yeah. Like it's just wild to me that that is still a thing, and it's like got maybe what one one of the original cast members. I, maybe I think two? there's three. Maybe there's there's Richard
3: Weber. I'd say too much. There's Richard Weber, Meredith, and um what's her name? Oh crap. Miranda Bailey. Like that's it. Everyone else is pieced. (laughs) I told you I'm a trash human who knows trash things, but also recognizes it's trash.
1: Hey, I mean, we're skipping Riverdale to record this.
0: Oh (laughs) my favorite trash fire.
4: But, but no you you're absolutely right and when you hit a certain level in shows like that your characters are just are just yeah. putty mm-hmm. at that point right? right you're just you're just stretching them out and you're you're making them malleable just for the sake of plot and this one it doesn't even it doesn't let anybody fall off to the wayside every single cast member gets a re- a resolution within their own dynamics and with their their own arcs and leaves them in a satisfying way to like, maybe they can come back or maybe they could get picked up in EU stuff, and, which they did. Um, and it's just, it's just the best <laughs> series finale ever. Like, I don't understand why anybody did a series finale after
1: this. They were just like, we'll just, we'll just stop TV shows. Just stop TV shows. Oh, man. So, Derek, not to put a finer point on this. Did you watch this when it aired?
5: I'm sure that... Well, I'm, actually, I can't say for sure whether I did or not. Um, it would have been right around the time where, um, my daughter was born. I'm not certain that we would have caught it. Um, uh, mm-hmm. now I'm, I've seen it several times since, um, you know, thanks to the magic of Netflix and CBS online interactive or whatever it is. And, but I don't know for sure. I want to say, yeah, but I just don't. No. I mean, remember when DS9 started out, too, I was kind of... I was coming from the hair metal side of anti-DS9. I was like, you know, I don't want grungy Star Trek. I want bright and colorful spandex and, you know. um, And I gradually came to love it, of course, but um, I don't know if I did watch the uh, season finale. I'm not sure. Gotcha.
4: I feel like I was aware of, of TNG ending, and I was aware of DS9 ending just like... As a smallish person, right. I would have been like, I would have been like nine or ten. But I definitely caught DS Nine in syndication, and that's right. that's what really kicked off my my overall obsession with Star Trek was that they they used to play the original series and DS Nine all the time, but they played DS Nine in order and they played TOS out of order, mm-hmm. so right. I see like some of the bigger the bigger TOS episodes, but. CS9 was the actual show that I was watching. so That
0: tracks. Yeah, back in the era when it was on Spike TV ah. at like 6.30 at night and you would like have your your dinner and try to like watch it at the same time. Yep.
4: It was like it was like a nightly negotiation between myself and my parents of like, okay, well they're going to play two episodes tonight. Could I stay up maybe <laughs> to see them both, or like maybe see the first one and record the second one? I mean, what the, what else am I doing? Going to school? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I'm glad we got all of that out of the way because um, there are some plot points we need to cover before we dive into what happens in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so, first and uh, foremost, um, looks like a Bajoran
0: And he's been a Bajoran for, like, multiple episodes now. Right. This is not something, like, normally when they do, like, the fake plastic surgery in Star Trek, it's, like, a one-off episode thing, but, like, he's living in that weird, like, you know... Super. I don't know Bejor face. Like what is that? <laughs> what do you call it? Cuz it's it's offensive. Like it is it is a whole ass thing. And he's been beijor. doing it for like 5 episodes at this
3: point. I mean, Cisco right. and mm-hmm. Crew has so taken happening. on Klingon faces. Um for those right. one-off episodes, you're right, but yeah, is wearing or getting reconstructed for a whole, you know, few months a problem? Probably. <laughs>
1: Right, like, there's
4: gotta be some I, lasting I, effects on that, right? I, yeah, the, 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 the single episodes kind of touch on this, because they're mostly, like, kind of pivoted around, like, oh, I'm, I, I woke up, and I'm a Romulan, I have no idea what's going right. on, but, like, the idea that Cardassian black ops and, like, Cardassian intelligence officers just, like, do this on the red <laughs> is <laughs> fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Like, that's so cool, and it's so evil, that they can just like they like spend a month like studying to be a Ferengi and then they 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 get to be a Ferengi to then bilk somebody out or like kill somebody like that. It's insane. And it's it's neat seeing that actor too. Uh he just has a very expressive
0: face. Oh absolutely. Yes.
4: Seeing those eyebrows just like free of makeup and just able to just like cut around the screen mm-hmm. is incredible. And yeah.
0: he's he's got a case of the craggy uh-huh. face. So like oh. It's, it's that thing is where it? you're like, is he hot? Like, what's happening here? <laughs> and then, but again, I'll, I'll he's, he's so, yeah, like, he, he's he's so interesting to watch that it makes up for the fact that you're like, this is, like, problematic in a way that I can't quite put my finger on.
1: <laughs> right. And he can turn his neck. Like, that's the other yeah. big thing is he can turn his neck. <laughs> So, you
5: get a little more. That does change his body language oh, quite yeah. a bit.
3: Right? Oh, yeah. It makes right. you feel like he's it's, overacting. Right, but he still he stands, stands up super straight.
1: Right. Like, he still does that, like, spinal cord, mm-hmm. like, you he know, like, up so chest straight. Like, it's, it's very weird. It's very subtle, but it's very, very good. Um, he is in a weird relationship with Kylan. Well, he was blind for a well, while. He was blind for a while. Never explained well. He, at one point, was possessed by the Paw Wraiths. Sure. And was leading a cult on another Cardassian space station that was just like, we're gonna clear out the promenade set and shoot yeah. on DS9 for a week, but call it, like, Deep Space 6 or whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> what else is going on? Um, Ezri? Has replaced
0: Jedzia, and she is in love with Julian, and Julian's in love with her. But they're both too stupid to say it to each other, right? Um, let's see. Uh, She's a whole other she...
5: Dax, right? I mean, yeah, she yeah, is yeah, just yeah. Uh, like mm-hmm. where as Jedzia was like you know a warrior Dax. This is kind of like the let's make a pact that will both come back alive. Like I could never <laughs> right. picture Jedzia Dax saying something like that. It wouldn't have right. Wouldn't have even. <laughs> It's so weird how that kind of uh, uh symbiote kind of moves from one life to the other and really absorbs the uh you know, the essence of the person mm. that they're in symbiosis with.
4: Oh for sure. Well you you get you get two ends of the uh the theater kid lesbian spectrum, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> being like the very kind of assertive
2: almost very, butch, like, like soft butch. And, <laughs> like
4: yeah, yeah, but still very powerful and magnetic. And then like, on the other side, you have the more like tech-minded uh, uh, theater lesbian. Yeah, it's it's of, like, the
0: behind. NCIS. Yep, lesbian. hundred percent.
4: She makes yeah. she <laughs> makes the prop table. She like makes sure everybody's on
0: call and like, like on book. Like it's it's the best. I love uh, Ezra B2W. Like a lot. I actually think she's she's great. I work in mental health, and so the fact that she's a counselor, like comparing her to like. You know, Absolutely. it's apples and oranges to a certain extent, but, you know, her and Troy, where, like, you realize Esri's actually, like, attempting to use, like, some clinical acumen when she talks to people. She gives them, like, space to talk about what they're going to talk about, but also she doesn't, yeah. like, let them just kind of continue with, like, disastrously, you know, problematic behaviors. So, like, she's she's doing interesting things. Like, there's a whole episode where she's talking to Garrick about his... Um, claustrophobia. Claustrophobia, And, like, she does it in this way that, like, respects him having all this space and, like, (laughs) kind of, you know, softly broaches the subjects when, you know, she's, like, kind of pulling all those threads together. But, like, when he reacts poorly, she, like, kind of, like, lets him sit in that for a minute. And it's all very, actually, decent clinical skills. Like, they (laughs) clearly talked to someone who knew what they were doing.
4: And seeing, like, another track of, like, a teal uniform, mm-hmm. I, I I love. Like, the fact that Jadzia was a science officer and Ezri very clearly is a counselor mm-hmm. or a an medical right, Absolutely. And translates to the field, like, when she's on missions and stuff. Ah, it's the best. So we got that. Um, what else do we need to get out of the way? Oh,
1: um... Worf kills Gowron, what, oops, which what? made me very sad, because Gowron has very pretty eyes. Best eyes in the galaxy. Best <laughs> eyes in the galaxy. Oh, boy.
5: <laughs> formerly best eyes.
1: <laughs> right, formerly. Um, and they trade out those two big baby blues for one. One very eye. honorable eye. One very honorable eye and General Martok, who I guess is Chancellor Martov at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, what other big beats are we missing? Oh, um... Cisco got married. Cisco got married, (laughs) and Cassidy hates his
3: pregnant, and
5: and Miles and Julian's bromance over the Alamo. They got got really into Warhammer 40k. Can we talk about
3: how
0: in this episode- yeah, they did. We can talk about how in uh, the Inception episode, a couple episodes before, they literally sat in the hallway and talked about- how like they both like each other more than like the women in their lives but they they love the women in their lives so like it's totally not gay <laughs> and like it's just it's it's lovely and i love the two of them <laughs> god damn it
4: it's yeah, and like the like Star Trek's version of like sexy, sexiness is like so hysterical in general. <laughs> but Julian just becomes such a hilarious, just like a, a genuinely funny and like engaging flashpoint for it mm-hmm. because he's just constantly talking about how horny he is. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh god. It's it's like by the, the way, like
0: I'm totally super super queer, but I can't talk about it directly, so we're gonna talk around it for an hour. Yeah,
4: because it's still the '90s.
1: I love
0: it.
4: We're on duty, yeah. and like. We're-
1: <laughs> Um,
4: so let's see, what other big plot?
1: Uh, Odo was sick.
0: But now he's not.
1: But now he's not But because... also the
0: Federation kind of almost did a genocide. Yeah,
1: the Federation Oops. infected him with <laughs> a thing and almost did a genocide. whoopsie doopsie Kira and Garrick and my new favorite character, Damar, <laughs> are leading a revolution on Cardassia.
0: Mm-hmm. And has um, become a
1: figurehead. And, yeah, which Damar is... Amazing. is I love Demar. Demar's great. We're gonna get into it. So I think uh, that's like all for of the Cardassia! setup. Am I missing anything?
2: Yes. <laughs> oh, <For laughs>
1: Goddacia.
3: His speech, just rolls off the tongue. Really. His speech is so mm-hmm.
4: good. Katie, mm-hmm. did you see this when it aired on TV?
3: I didn't get into DS9 until a few years ago. Frankly, I didn't even get into Star Trek until I really got married, met my husband, and he, not forced it upon me, but strongly suggested and hinted here and there. Uh, I started with DS9, and then I've gone backwards um, to Next Gen and to yeah, right. the original series. I've seen parts of Voyager. I've seen all of Lower Decks. Mm.
4: <laughs> yeah. yeah, oh, Right. Because Lower Decks On is my great. List right now, is with Lower Decks, I definitely oh, yes, have to get yes, to definitely. Oh,
0: yes, yes, definitely.
1: So
4: good.
1: Um, I think those are all, like, the big beats.
0: Oh, the brain are a part of the Dominion. Yeah, the brain are awesome.
1: <laughs> I love the breed. Anytime. I I think it's absolutely hilarious and perfect. It's then, some R2-D2 yep. bullshit. It's so funny. <laughs> Absolutely. They <I> never, ever,
4: <laughs> ever explained my <that> question. <laughs> and, and everyone can just, like, understand them? It makes no sense. I think they made, oh, like, an cool.
0: offhanded comment at one point when, like, I think Damara like, couldn't understand the Breen guy. And they were like, oh, you need to, like, get your universal translator adjusted. And he's like, well, I didn't know we were seeing the Breen today. <laughs> and it's like, well, apparently that's something you can calibrate. <laughs> And so, like, like, but then they never explain it again. There's never any subtitles. Like, it just happens.
4: Yeah. There's a whole. There's a whole mind to be veined of comedy where it's just, like, transporter chiefs and, like, operations officers going, like, Fuck, the Breen are gonna come to ship. We gotta do all this bullshit, those frosty assholes. We gotta, like, recalibrate the buffer. Like, that's hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> He's like
0: a 90s
5: modem. Like, <laughs>
0: right.
5: The way the female shifter is, uh, you know, so... Like, oh, you guys are so brave, and I just—I've grown accustomed to having you around. But if you really feel like you have to go to the front lines, and 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 then they're gone, and oh, that voice is just starting to give me a headache. You can
2: just see, you know,
5: the commentary on the R two D two voice, which I I felt the entire episode, by the way, because I can't stand robot voices, and it was just like, "Mm, yeah.
1: They're amazing. I like that they don't subtitle it. I like that only, yes. like, two characters. It's, like, Wei-Yun yeah. and Goo-Tits changelingly So,
0: the thing about Season 7 of Deep Space Nine, as I was watching, especially these last handful of episodes, where, like, all of these characters are acting, like, it's not just, like, oh, we're just gonna do a Wei-Yun episode, or we're just gonna do a whatever. All of these characters together, like, definitely belong in, like, some weird... Fallout game, mm-hmm. like, Wayune is a weird NPC, and the Breen is, like, <laughs> right. one of the guys like trying to raid your camp, and, like, it's just all of these weird freaking... Fall- and also, Vic Fontaine's there, and he's definitely a Fallout character. Yes. Oh. oh,
5: yeah. Oh, oh for Ilya. sure.
4: Uh, the fact that the Dominion is just, like, basically just built on petty assholes is <laughs> the best because they're all petty in their own specific way and they even kind of touch on it within the episode just like with their own w- weird little internal squabbles about how they're going to carve up you know the sector space right. once uh, and yeah, like Williams like I
0: want earth and it's like why reasons
4: yeah I was just like well I mean
5: that's I but it seems cool like they got soup and root beer yeah, super. <laughs> yeah, I, I knew he was done for when he said he wanted Earth. It never <laughs> yeah. ends well. No. Yeah. Especially at this point, because like uh I tried to do an insane
4: thing when after after I was on the episode uh the opening episode of DS9, I was like, Well well, screw it. I'll just watch it all again. <laughs> so I tr- I tried to do that and I failed. I got to season three and them like seeding the Dominion is so cool and like so eerie, and you're just like, oh Jesus! Like d- the Dominion, <laughs> we're hearing all about the Dominion now, and it's like, oh, they're they're getting all these, snapping up all these planets, they're making all these power, and now you see the Dominion, which are just like three assholes, just like in a room, <laughs> right, all arguing with one another yeah. about like, or they haven't even won, mm-hmm. like it's like seeing. Where it started from to now, where they've been pinned to, like with the, the turns of the episode, is just so so satisfying. Mm-hmm. It's it's so good it makes all the paw rate stuff kind of feel junky in comparison because it doesn't have the same like oomph or drive
0: right. as
4: the yeah paw- the,
0: the paw rate stuff is is kind of hard to manage. It feels like one of those things that should have only been like a half season arc, maybe a season ago. And it just kind of never went away. Uh, because you see, like, the Super Cyan battle, what, like, you know, half a season before with, like, <laughs> with like Jake, Jake right, and yeah. Kira. And it's like, well, yeah, that, that feels like a, a relatively big thing for this, like, lower demon that's been, like, hidden in the depths of Bejor for years and years and years. But, like, then the whole idea with the Parith cult and Gul Dukat, who, like, in my opinion, should have never come back after the death of his daughter, mm-hmm. but like it's a, a guest that stayed too long on the show, and it's really kind of weird in my opinion, but yeah. No, and it's like, you definitely feel
4: like they tracked the Dominion stuff way more than they tracked all the beigeor stuff, mm-hmm. because they even, they abandoned that thing with the orbs, there's that whole there's the the whole subplot with like, oh, there's now like an apostate version of the the Bajoran culture that are worshiping the paw race Mm -hmm. and they just kind of like barely deal with that so you definitely feel like like the writer's room knew where their bread was buttered narratively so to speak with this dominion stuff but it like it makes the fun at least like the last like 20 to 30 minutes of this saving all the character beats which are really great plot wise it just kind of feels like a
5: little like oh well we have to just end this, I guess. Well, and unfortunately, well, there's some pacing issues there too. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Really bad pacing issues. Yeah. Um, they're on Cardassia still. And you have, uh, you know, um, the, the beginning of the ritual to summon the paw or whatever, and get the fire started. And then, you know, within 20 minutes of the time that they're in the cave, you know, here comes Benjamin. He's already been back to Deep Space Nine. They've already kind of wrapped it up with the uh, just yeah. thinking of you the way you are, the way you look tonight. And then he's like, I got to go. You know, they suddenly realized, oh shit, we didn't wrap up this profit thing. And, and so he's back over there and he wa- he comes walking in and it's like, is there a time loop or some like kind of weird sw- distortion field happening here? Some <laughs> subspace thing we need to get data on. I mean, it was the weirdest pacing I've ever seen. It's like they just cut to that one B-shot
4: of the captain's yacht just, like, going through space, <laughs> and then suddenly just on Bejor again.
0: Mm-hmm.
5: It's like, well, that that doesn't... That that doesn't make sense. Well, and they did feels... mention the yacht, though. They said they found it. <laughs> right. They found it in orbit, and he was Yes, gone. they found it do. in orbit. Yay. It
0: feels like something, this... this The whole thing with the Power Wraiths, and the culmination of the Gal and the Kywin thing, because, like, watching Kywin explode is pretty fun. Love that. right? And, like, love that for her. Ben Cisco pushed push, you know, Golducott into the fire pits is also really funny and well-deserved. But at the same time, like, from a story perspective, it's like, because it takes such a backseat to the Dominion stuff, you're right, it's exactly what the bread is buttered is the Dominion stuff, so that it feels like the thing that should have been resolved in the penultimate episode, your problem being that your captain of your ship is the emissary of the prophets. And the only way to resolve all of this is to, like, do that. And, like, part of me is, like, the, the daring fucking crazy thing to do would have been to have, like, the penultimate episode be, like, Ben Sisko goes in the fire pit with Gold Dukat and no one knows where he is for the final battle. Right. Like, and then they do the thing that he's, like, both in the present and the past, and here and yesterday and tomorrow, and somehow, you know, deal with that, like, kind of right at the end, because, like, you don't really need Cisco for that battle either. Like, it's a lot of, you know, him and... Admiral Ross and Martok kind of having a drink afterwards, but, like, you don't need
1: that. Well, there's that and, like, the weird like, we're in the middle of a giant battle. Let's get on a Zoom call.
0: Yeah, there's no, several so too many Zoom calls where, like, Martok needs to turn on his microphone. It's a whole thing.
4: <laughs> there is a really badass moment with Cisco. I, I genuinely like seeing Cisco in Command of a Ship. Just oh, sure. You don't, you don't really get to see all that much uh, during, uh, it, you get touches on it throughout DS9, but like seeing him like command a ship in battle with like all of his bridge crew around him is pretty cool. And you also get like Nog says that he lost a brain ship, and like while consoles are exploding behind him, <laughs> yeah, he's just like, "There'll be plenty more." Like, like that's badass. Like, give me more <laughs> of that. But yes, absolutely. The the narrative, especially being so front loaded with the Dominion stuff and like the revolts of Cardassia and like the the the, the turn of cartesian forces which is also still a genuinely amazing twist right. that somehow always gets me every single time <laughs> I, I, like i i i've seen this episode probably conservatively like 12 times but every single time that happens in like
0: the, the main battle I'm it, it stirs like, something oh. deep in your soul it's like hell yeah cool. <laughs> well and it's 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 that bit that they talk about where it's like
1: oh we don't need like resistance cells anymore this is no longer resistance this is a revolution Mm
2: -hmm. and like
1: it just it you feel it in your gut like I you know starting off with emissary and everything because this is the thing for me is this is my first time watching Deep Space Nine Mm -hmm. all the way through and because of that like I went in with certain preconceptions of like Oh, Cardassia is the enemy. They're going to be the enemy all the way to the end. And then you get, like, Mm -hmm. you know, Damar, really cool character. I think, like, out of everybody in DS9, you know, main cast notwithstanding, I think my two favorite characters are, like, Eddington and Damar. And, like, Damar is great. He's awesome. He fills that role. He fills that shoes. He has a
0: whole ass arc
1: for being, like, a tertiary character. Right. Right. And it's just really, really cool to see, you know, not only do we get these like lovely finale moments with, you know, the main cast and crew, but we also get like all of this stuff tied off with all the other secondary cast members as well. And I mean, like, the other thing that we missed in like our big recap of everything that's happened before this episode, the episode prior to this, <laughs> um, there is a new grand negus of <laughs> Ringonar. It's Rom! And it's Rom. It's, it's so good freaking awesome and like that should have been like it should have been oh there's a new grand negus of the briginar and there's shit going on in the fire caves like that should (laughs) have been the penultimate episode but yeah like it's just really cool to see damar get like that full treatment, and, like, you feel it. Like, Justin, you're totally right. Like, every time you're like, oh, man, how are they going to breach, you know, the fleet? How are they going to get down to Cardassia? And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, Cardassia, they've joined us. And, like, it's powerful.
4: You, as a viewer, being on the ground the entire time that it's happening is so powerful. And it being such a direct inverse of Bajor.
2: Right. And Mm -hmm. it
4: being you having... Both Kira, Damar, and uh, Garrick on the ground, like talking through what's going on and talking through their own experiences, and like, like the fact that like you start out an emissary. If someone told, if someone like legitimately like if 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 your wife would have turned to you and been like, "Oh, BGW, Kira's going to lead the Cardassians to freedom (laughs) in about six years," you're going to be like. Go fuck yourself! No, she won't. Like that's right. the dumbest thing. You, that's the dumbest thing you've ever said. But yet, that's the entire episode, and it's earned. It absolutely feels earned and powerful and motivated by not just her own self-interest, but like her own what we know of her uh, uh, ideologically, uh, like her her own connection with Cartasia and Bejor. We also know that Garrick is fighting for something more than just himself now it's just beautiful like it's such a it's such a brilliant up end of everything that you think ds9 is up until that point but it doesn't feel like they're just doing it to do it like it feels they got there specifically for these moments and they feel like
5: earned
1: now derek i know you've said before that you really love garrick's arc Mm. and all of this oh man yeah so why what what draws you to that as far as you know like these these final moments with Garrick on Cardassia itself?
5: Well, you know I think Garrick puts it best near the end of the episode when he says, you know I I wanted to go home, I I even thought about living in this house, and now you know um, this house is about to be destroyed. You know he he's kind of come full circle, and the the Cardassia that he's found isn't even remotely. Um, you know, the one that he left and yet, you know, this kind of duplicitous, you know, uh, Taylor, uh, who's got his fingers <laughs> and everything and his ears and everything. Um, you know, he kind of picks up the sword or the saber there, um, right near Absolutely. the end of the episode when Damar falls and. You know, kind of leads the rallying cry. You can actually see the soldiers responding to him with a little bit of a startle. And, and uh, you know, he says for Cardassia does the same kind of battle cry and they go rushing in. Um, but I, I got to tell you, my favorite um, Garrick moment in this episode and probably in the last season, to be honest with you guys, is right before they're getting ready to go in the door. Uh, And he just starts laughing. uh, And, you know, what is so funny? And he's like, what's not funny? Are you serious? I mean... All of this just to get here and the door's locked and everybody else just looks at each other and they're you know, and they all start kind of chuckling and laughing. And then, you know, of course the doors fly open and and these idiots were gonna execute somebody right outside the door of the base. Right. <laughs> the Jim Hadar. Oh, you gotta love these guys. They got a lot of heart, but like virtually no brains, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they're the most improved despots of the galaxy.
2: No,
4: they get the gold no, star
1: for trying. That's for damn sure.
5: But that was so, so classic Garrick, right? You know, that, that <laughs> classic, like, he just starts chuckling and then it kind of becomes this rolling laughter. And of course, Kira joins in uh, and it, it, it just becomes this kind of infectious thing. And I I thought that was so perfect because it was like the dark and light, right? His his despair of being home and having, you know, his his world kind of destroyed around him and also... Seeing the kind of the cosmic joke that was wrapped up in their revolution—it's just so.
4: It's like we we talked about this a little bit on emissary. Just like how these little human moments that all of these alien races and like all of these people have with one another, amidst these grand like cosmic games or like these these like huge like intergalactic political movements. But it's just it's just so it's so beautiful to me that Star Trek still can kind of just like deliver stuff like that. But because like, again, if anyone would have told you at the beginning of this show, (laughs) that Kieran Reese famed Bajoran militant would be not only fighting alongside Cardassians, but like laughing amongst Cardassians. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Counting Cardassians as like genuine allies and like, and, and, Patriots within, like their own, like I'm like. This is. Has anyone ever cried on your show yet? I don't feel like they have. Uh, yes. <laughs> I, I genuinely feel like I'm about to do that.
1: No, <laughs> it's okay. It's all right. It's happened before. It'll happen again.
4: Just talking about it. It's so. It's so grounded, but yet still so like operatic and like very, like kind of broadly. I mean, because like if you really want to break it down, a lot of Star Trek is like just archetypes, mm, like mostly. Right. Right, But the way that they've positioned them and moved them together with their own dynamics and their own progressions throughout a
0: season of television is just beautiful. Well, and you even take a character like Garrick, who is is unlike... I can't think of another character like Mm -hmm. Garrick in, in television. And the thing that's wonderful about him and his precarious mental health is that you do get these kind of shining moments that come through where, you know... Everyone's celebrating at the end, and he just looks so deeply sad. And Julian's trying to talk to him and, you know, say, Hey, we won the battle. We won the war. Are you happy to have your your world back? And he just looks at him and he goes, I'm never getting my world back.
4: Yeah, everything has changed. Right. Right. And And he's like,
0: Everything that I remember that I loved about my home is gone. His parents are dead. And, Mm -hmm. like, there's nothing that he was fighting for so long to get back to, none of that's really there anymore. And, you know, Damar has that kind of same, I think, revelation, obviously to a different end by becoming, you know, the head of the the resistance, but like Damar's family is murdered and he has to come to terms with the fact that like he participated in a regime that killed millions of Bajoran families. And he and Kira, kind of clumsily have that moment together but then like it it awakens something in him and it brings him to a higher purpose right and not just in kind of like a you know batman man pain kind of way like it really it really makes him stop and have pause to think about what he's going to be to his people and Mm. the fact that you've got these characters that at the beginning of the series are these unrepentant nazi assholes and they are something completely different by the end is just fascinating to me.
5: Yeah, and it feels organic. It, it it feels earned. Can we roll that back for just a second, though, and kind of drill down on Julian and Garrick yeah. at the end? Yes. Um, and that scene. So Julian is trying to trying to comfort his friend, right? And and Garrick's inconsolable. You know, yeah. he he's never going to get his world back. But there's a point where. Julian kind of almost gives up trying to console him and says, well, you know, we'll see each other again. And uh, Garrick says, I'd like to think so, but we live in dangerous times, but you can see right before that, the sides of his lips kind of curl up a little bit and he mm-hmm. starts to grin. And you can see where his, again, his precarious mental health or his unique mm-hmm. way of looking at the universe um, kicks back in and yeah, all of this stuff has happened. Um, but he still got to kind of get the last word in with, with Julian. Yeah. <laughs> and he does it in his, his, you know, in the style of Garrick. He doesn't do it. He doesn't, you know, exit stage left as this somber, broken man. He exits as Garrick, having gone through this arc. And it was really kind of, for me, that was those little tiny things were the, the high points of of Deep Space 9 as compared to you know the other earlier Star Treks because you had this kind of um, multi-dimensional depth of these characters that you just didn't see a lot before then. So yeah. I was really I was really appreciative of that final moment between Garrick and Julian.
1: Yeah well and it you kind of forget like throughout this you know 10, nine, however many Netflix decides episode arc, <laughs> right. You kind of forget that the the normal day to day happenings of DS nine have kind of been pushed to the backburn. You forget that, you know, like, oh, it's Tuesday. We're reading we're leading a revolution on Cardassia. I should be having lunch with my friend Julian. Like you kind of forget those moments because it's it's wartime, you know? That's yeah. that's just the nature of war. And to have, you know, that one interaction between julian and garrick at the end i think is very important because throughout the start of the episode they're so focused on like julian's relationship with esri and julian's relationship with miles and things like that and you know part of me of course would love to see you know resolution for everything but the other part of me is like all right they've got like an hour and a half like some something's got to get missed and i think like they pretty much hit it all. You know, we were speaking about earlier, you know, we all kind of agree that, you know, the paw Wraith stuff is kind of like, eh, there's pacing issues there. It's a little weird. It feels like an afterthought. It feels tacked on, but like beyond that.
0: But you also can't not have all the emissary shit at the end of your emissary Star Trek. I
5: I, (laughs) know. Yeah. But at the same time, do we have to have like that kind of, um, I don't know that mystical. Don't worry. Let's not call it a happy ending, but it probably will be right. a happy ending. I, I, I felt like that kind of like robbed that whole emissary storyline for me. Um, it robbed it of kind of its power at the very end there. Um, I don't know. Maybe well, I, I'm, I maybe I'm it, looking at that incorrectly, but I do love just to one more time touch on you. It, I love Star Wars. I love hard science fiction. I love. Uh, you know, all kinds of stories where you have these heroes that are, you know, larger than life and doing heroic things. And in Deep Space Nine, one of my favorite characters is a uh, Taylor who likes to have lunch with his friend Julian yeah. and maybe huh. dabbled in a little secret agent stuff at one point. But, you know, he's a tailor. And that's just got to be the coolest thing about this show to so me good. is that these characters have like this life outside of being you know, larger than life.
1: For sure. And I mean, like, there's the whole plot in the episode of, like, who gets to keep the Warhammer Alamo (laughs) that's, like, taking up all of this space in Miles O'Brien's quarters. Well, and the fact
0: that Worf keeps bringing up that Julian Bashir plays with toys
5: right <laughs> and and the whole thing with Thermopylae at the end and the the yeah. Spartans and she oh, yeah. she goes right along it's... with it even though really come on you guys there's nothing healthy about oh, no. his no. just substituting you know the Alamo and his friendship with miles and you know throwing the Spartans and Thermopylae on his new girlfriend <laughs> it's I mean it's cool to go along with that it and she's a good sport, but um, <laughs> she's not wrong when she says, "Can we yeah, maybe just, like, book you an appointment for your annihilation <laughs> uh, fixation?" I genuinely love her being like, "Yeah, you need to talk to someone. You need help.
4: That's that's dark, but also <laughs> the, like that's what they think is fun. Like that's just like what. But also, but this, all of these people being like actual people." Is I think one of the the real strengths of DS9 TNG kind of get, gets there towards the end. I, I feel like just because there's so much, there's so many episodes that are specifically tailored to like Data wants to be human, uh, Picard's trying to connect with people, blah blah blah. But like DS9 gets set apart in that like most of the serial most of the serialization and the actual point-to-point narratives of the episodes are always character-based and this finale is no different it's just like everybody has their own plates that they're spinning along with these larger ones of like the the dominion war and the paw rates but never at any point are they not people they're just people that are trying to live and are trying to survive and are trying to fight a war that they're losing and
5: like, it's just great. It's so good. Isn't that the difference though, Justin, between the two shows, right? Between TNG and deep space nine uh, is, is I think that some of the characters in TNG, I would argue became that kind of fleshed out person, Mm -hmm. um, by the end of the show. But it was like, that was the starting point for DS nine. And it just built from there. Mm -hmm. Um, One million percent. So, and I think again, like, like y'all were
4: saying, the switch between episode to episode, storytelling and serialized storytelling is just night and day between the two shows. Like it's just, it not only, it not only classes it up just in terms of it, of its narrative conventions and like what it can do within a, a weekly drama, but it just, it makes it feel so much more substantial to watch than just like, Oh, we drove through something weird or like, Oh, there's a planet that's got weird energy signatures. we got to go check it out. So Katie,
3: yep.
1: Your favorite character is also on Cardassia doing stuff.
3: She is. She's out there. What do you think about what do you think about Kira? I mean, we've said it before, like you you would not plan for Kira to be on Cardassia leading their revolution, but with her character, her her mindset, her moral is to fight for the underdog. And for the longest time in her life, she was the underdog and Her father um, motivated a lot of that and losing him in the occupation, Um, but she can't stand idly by, even if it is for a Cardassian and watch them just be tossed around like a puppy dog, tossing a toy (laughs) in the dominion's mouth. Like she can't do that. And she's becomes the leader of this resistance cell for the Cardassians. And aside next to Damar, that was just, that's wild because we watched her try to work with Damar when the Cardassians took back uh, Terok Noor <laughs> and just how much she hated him and how much he grew, but then she grew with him and just leading this this revolution and I think Damar derives power from her, not just knowledge, but from her attitude. I know that Garrick does. Uh, he and uh, Kira are better friends I think Than they'd care to admit She she cares for him And especially after the Jem'Hadar Come into their house and Mila dies Kira is there for comfort yeah. But she's there to rally too Because the job has to be done And she could have just yelled at Garrick And been mm-hmm. like, get your shit together, we gotta go But she took the moment to pause, to care And to, you know, connect with Garrick And I think that probably helped fuel him Once they get to the door And have their hysterical laugh fest but fueled them once they <laughs> lose Damar as well um, to kind of carry this on, and she knows he's a broken man, and she understands because she's she's a broken woman too and in different ways, but in similar ways as well.
1: I think she looks really, really good so
3: hot, in the so hot too in that in like, that Starfleet uniform with the hair and the earring. Good lord, woman!
4: <laughs> good shit. The man red. Mm. it's it's good but no you're absolutely right and like having having them both on the ground and or having all three of them on the ground and being so backed up with characterization not only for Kira but for Damar in this last bit and also for Garrick just in getting to this point like them genuinely connecting and like realizing that because I know it's I know it's hacky to say like oh you're the everyone's the hero of their own story blah 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 or like it's 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 kind of like it's wrote to say stuff like that but like seeing it genuinely play out well and across three like wildly <laughs> empathetic and, and engaging characters is just beautiful and like and just peppering in not only the larger implications like politically and emotionally for the war and the revolt but them just like taking those little moments to to comfort each other or taking the little moments to laugh with one another or eat with one another just to make sure that they're not... Because a lot of Kira's, especially in the first couple of seasons, are kind of like based around like, oh, is she she no longer human? Is she just a soldier? Is she just a weapon? And seeing that not only is that not true, but her experiences have honed her to a point in which she is... A weapon, but for good, or like or at least at least pointed in the right direction. With
0: well, I think she, I think she found purpose. Yeah, I yeah. think yeah, that's, that's what it well, is. Well, and most importantly, Kira is the only one who knows what the Breen looked like <laughs> under the helmet because she clearly killed a Breen and stole his outfit. <laughs> she and has I, the knowledge. I thought back about how Wei Yun and the founder. Talk like at length about how they wonder why that they're like that's weird. He has, what like, has, the they Refrigeration like? Yeah. suit. Like, has anyone seen them without the helmets? No, but Kira has because Kira's a badass.
4: Yeah. <laughs> Return of the Jedi. Some brilliant. Yeah. She just looks like yeah. It's, from
0: it's got like major major.
1: I want to say Bosch, but I know that's wrong. I'm an it's idiot. Bosch. Yeah, Bosch. B O S C H. So many, so many vowels. All right, so um, we definitely covered that stuff at length. Justin, I know you really, really like ships. There is the one scene that made... Or one shot, I should say. It's not really a scene. Uh, One shot that made me incredibly happy, which actually reminds me of a joke we made on our episode about Emissary, about why don't you just take that ship around and strap a GoPro on it so we can get footage of the station. And there's literally a shot in the middle of the battle where they like put a GoPro on the back of the defiant and it does like a barrel roll and it's so cool
4: on an aesthetic level i really love the design of federation ships just they look cool i love that there's a bunch of classes i i love like the crunchy details of the classes but here not only do we get a shit ton of federation ships But we get Romulan ships. We get Klingon ships. We get Breen ships. You've got Dominion ships and Cardassian fighters. Like, it's just this huge set piece. And this
1: is, like, 1999. This This is only, like, a couple years after Independence Day. You know, like, the CG is not, like, this is not... 200 million Avengers Endgame like throw everything at it you know.
4: We also haven't had all of the TNG movies at this point. Uh Generations I think has just come out. Mm-hmm. Uh we and also the largest battle that we've seen so far within Star Trek lore is the the battle with the Borg in TNG. Yep. And that's it's so very so very focused on kind of like the monolithic nature of the Borg ships. It's kind of like stunts the actual like Uh, point of view of the set piece just in my view just because I'm a big comic guy uh, I kind of think about things in splash pages now because my brain is broken smooth Um, but it's just like it's just so badass you're just seeing so much on the screen itself that not only is it just like exploding the scope of what you can think of Star Trek action but it's like it's showing the genuine promise of like joint alien efforts right like it's they call it the federation klingon and romulan fleet it's the first time mortal enemies across the galaxies have banded together against uh, a common enemy and it it just looks fucking cool like genuinely really cool seeing all these ships just kind of bashing against each other um in space well, and for
0: comparison other movies that came out the same year that this episode aired just for you know where the technology was at you know you've got the Phantom Menace Wild Wild West Oof. uh the Matrix Oh, and wow. uh, the world is not enough. <laughs> Those were the some of the big movies, uh, action movies of 1999.
1: And you can't so really count the Matrix in that because nobody knew what the hell that was when until it came out.
0: Right. Well, the Matrix was considered absolutely groundbreaking at the time. So I mean, for for and again, for things that were on television in 1999, this was outstanding. Right.
4: Seeing like this is what everything has come down to. Like this mm-hmm. is this is the this is the point that we've. From the very beginning of, especially this season, but especially the the most explicitly the back half of DS nine. Everything has been building to. We have to. We have to stop the Dominion. We have to. If we don't, we die. Like that's the that's the White Walkers before the White Walkers, and it's just it's just cool. It's genuinely cool, and especially seeing it as a kid, and into it into like my teenage years and into adulthood. I'm just like, this is crazy they can do this on tv like, right it's just it's so it's so mind-melting to like 12 year old justin that it still is mind-melting now to 32 year old justin
3: i was just gonna say i can't talk about like necessarily ship design or even the the technology within it but the the colors i love the Jumhadar ships they're beautiful and then when you throw it into battle alongside the blue lights and in the uh federation ships and the klingons coming in and the Romulan, like it's it's pretty
4: everything <laughs> so clearly tracked and like the fact that because like you you talked earlier about like kind of cgi gobbledygook but there's like there there's some times where like big expensive movies like that just look like noise like, like the and, transformer
1: like, movies they're they're literally noise
4: you cannot track a single thing that's happening on screen. Like you can't, you can't track the action. You can't track the characters at all, but because the Federation ships look so cool and because they've, they've defined all of these color palettes of each faction, you can tell every single thing that's happening on in the span of the, the set piece itself and just within the stakes of like the battle when it's going on. You know what ships are assigned to, like, which factions. Like, you know that the Jem'Hadar have these, like, suicide raiders that kind of look like the Cylon ships from, uh, like, yeah, it's just just so cool. They
0: spent so much time developing the iconography and even developing further what had already been brought to pass in, in earlier iterations of Trek and really just, you know, weaponizing it for your feelings, but also the spatial geography of like an action sequence is like really playing mm-hmm. out incredibly well, especially again, especially for television, even now. So, oh, yes. And it- my dumb design we'll be- thing
1: that I noticed, and this is just me being stupid because I noticed these things uh, the UI of the maps in the uh, Dominion headquarters on Cardassia. Has all of the little icons, so it's like all of the Federation ships are deltas, all uh-huh. of the Klingon ships are the Klingons. <laughs> <laughs> like it's just stupid that like there's like some graphic
0: designer. Well, and as a as a viewer, <laughs> you know what that all yeah, that means. helps, right? Us.
1: And you can immediately yeah. translate
0: it.
4: And it, and it didn't take it didn't take like twenty minutes out of an episode for Jeffrey Collins to like <laughs> turn to the board and go like, "Well, here you see that we have like that." that right. <laughs> but no, you're absolutely. And it's just like it's especially watching it now, and I know that like it breaks my heart that we're never ever going to get a remaster of DS Nine ever. Like it, it genuinely does bump me out that we'll never get that. Yeah. That's That said,
1: I've seen some cool stuff where people are, like, using AI to do it, and using AI to do it's cheaper than paying humans to do it, so maybe?
4: There's that thing that that showed from from, uh, Bada Bing Bada Boom, where it's it's the the shot of them all walking down the promenade and somebody remastered it, and it, Mm -hmm. of course, looks beautiful because it's the the hottest Star Trek cast (laughs) ever assembled, but... Watching it now, I'm so appreciative of the miniature work and, like, the maquettes Mm -hmm. and, like, all of the models that they've built of these ships. I know it's probably, at this point, pretty, like, kind of juiced up by CGI and computers at this point. But just, like, knowing that still, at this point, the show was using model work and was, like, really going in on, like, practical, physical sets...
0: I got a also cool someone had to someone had to make that entire Alamo diorama. <laughs> <laughs> like that didn't the, it was the,
5: it was one of their kids' school projects.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, it was somebody's like some second PA's school project or mm-hmm. something like that. I
3: love that. <laughs>
5: let's let's not forget too that from the very beginning of Star Trek, the the idea of identifying ships by silhouette, um, as in World War II. Uh, World War I That was something that was like I think it was really a part of Star Trek and the ship So that also helps you track those things Just going back to that point you guys were making earlier Each ship is its own silhouette
3: Probably
1: Like Breen ships have such a cool silhouette Like they're weird They're not symmetrical in design at all It's so weird You you should be able to
5: look across the battlefield And instantly identify a Breen player For sure
1: Right. And, like, I mean, that's something that translates. I know, um, Derek, I know you and I are, like, both big gamers. Like, that's something that translates to design these days, too. Um, You know, everybody is talking about, like, you know, in in Overwatch, you want to make sure each character has their own silhouette, so you can look across the map and be like, that's who this is, that's who this is. And, like, this is, like, the genesis of that. Which is really cool to see that people were that smart, you know, 30 years ago.
4: it definitely got me obsessed with a lot of PC games that were Star Trek related. Yep, because they were like they were all based on ship combat, and, it, and that was like my jam.
1: Before we discuss uh, just overall feelings on DS Nine, um, including some like favorite episodes that we might not have covered, I want to talk about kind of like that last like fifteen minutes after Cisco and. Ducat go jumping in the fire pits. You know, you kind of get like that rush of resolutions. You know, you get all of these like flashbacks. They do like this weird clip thing, but like I don't know. I've felt like these like last fifteen minutes are just like a steaming pile. Like it feels like Lord of the Rings to me.
0: There are multiple endings because there's like multiple
1: endings. Like they do like oh, here's how much Julian and Miles, like, are best friends, and they're Julian
0: got, friends. like, two or three send-offs, because, right.
1: like, and then, like, two minutes later, after they do, like, all the clips of them, like, having fun in the holodeck, it's like, oh, well, now, like, I have to walk you to your airport terminal, and it's like, you have to pick an ending. It's got to be one or the other. You either go for, like, the big clip show, or you go for the walk to the airport terminal, like I, the last 15 minutes, like really just kind of like messed with my head. Katie, what did you think? What was your favorite send off of everybody?
3: Um, I mean, I, I, I like the Cork and Odo uh, send off, <laughs> um, so where Odo just tries to sneak out with Kira, um, but Cork, being his nosy Ferengi self, has to notice it. And I mean, I get flashbacks to the episode where Cork and Odo are stranded on a mountain and they hate love each other. And they get that too, that you don't get a sappy goodbye like you would classically, kind of how you have (laughs) the Julian and Miles are playing in the hollow suite flashbacks. You don't have that. You have Odo saying... What do you want, Quark? And Quark's like, I just want you to have mutual respect. And he says, "Fuck you," and gets on his ship. Um, <laughs> but you get Quark acknowledging that that's his love language. That's that's how they they love each other. Um, and Kira kind of gets that, but she also is like, "Y'all are y'all are messed." Whatever. <laughs> Boys are stupid.
4: <laughs> that's the actual moment that really makes it charming to me is that the fact that Odo doesn't give because, of course, he doesn't. He wouldn't. But in him leaving, Corks like, "Yeah, that fucking guy loves
3: me." Like, there's no way.
4: There's no way that dude doesn't love me because he thinks about me
3: all. He's the my best friend, Quark.
5: Derek, what was your favorite send off? I think um, I, I I gotta say that one actually, and not only that, but the wrap up there with uh, Kira and Odo, you know, on the planet of the founders with him and his tuxedo, <laughs> but there's that one part where she says, you know, he's like, I can't remember what he says, but something about, you know, basically tell everybody. And, and she says, even Quark, yes, even Quark, you know? And it's like, so you get that kind of uh book ending of that love language thing where she realizes that both of them actually do have that relationship. And it's not just something that was in her head there on the, uh, on the airport tarmac before they took off for, <laughs> for for the you know for the delta Quadrant or whatever i it, it, just real briefly i think that was probably my favorite one out of all of them. i, I really felt like julian uh and um o'brien was really awkward <laughs> um, it just seemed like there was they were pushing that a little hard yeah and i'm not sure why i i thought you know julian and esri was was really funny because the whole Thermopylae thing Mm -hmm. Um, and I really didn't like at all the Cisco timey-wimey spacey wacy. you know uh, don't worry I know that I just sacrificed myself and fulfilled my role as the emissary but I will be back I promise and it's just like oh come on did you have to really like take out your own legs you know underneath it but that's just how I felt about I, I felt like the you know they kind of they soften the blow of that one. A, maybe a little too much for my yeah. taste, but mm-hmm. Caitlin,
0: what was your favorite send off? You know, I really enjoyed uh, the, the end of the, the Odo sequence where they're on a uh, goo rock and they, they do the tuxedo. And, but the, the moment that really st- stuck out for me is when Kira says, Oh wow, it looks so different. And he's like, yeah, everyone's dying. And then he goes in and he's healing them. And kind of fulfilling his destiny, he's kind of the other one with the big destiny with a capital D, right? Right. Because he's this this lost son of the 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 changelings, and he actually brings about their redemption and their chance at starting over and being a peaceful people, uh, such as they are, a peaceful goo blob. But and then also, you know, like Derek was saying, you know, the thing with Cisco and the emissary stuff you want it to hit harder than it does they really pull that punch just at the last second and you're like well i mean it's okay if he ascends to a higher plane like they've been teasing this for 7 seasons mm-hmm, right, right. And it's supposed to be sad and it's supposed to be emotionally just draining and and supposed to take a toll on everyone around him which i mean i it does but the fact that they tease it is like, yeah, I'll totally come back for reasons that totally make sense because profits, maybe. Like they're not gonna just, you know, let they're gonna let me like live my life at some point. Maybe yesterday, it'll be fine. I'm-
5: yeah, right. And maybe yesterday. Maybe a year. Yeah,
0: the the funny know. thing is, is that one of the alt uh, versions of that that they were throwing around was even kind of hackier than what they went with because they were originally oh. going to have it where the end cap of the episode was Benny from the 1950s, mm. uh, from Far Beyond the Stars, he is now yeah. an old man on the Paramount lot with his, you know, pilot script no. for Deep Space Nine. No. And he calls oh, Cut. God. And then, yeah, like, oh. the, then the series ends. So, like, it could have been way hackier than what they ultimately went with, where they don't actually show him returning, which I think is Kinda the... If you're glad gonna, they if you're gonna quote, that, have yeah. him come back, like, that's the bolder move.
1: Right, yeah. yeah. I think the the him being Benny, and,
0: and I'm, I'm living like in L.A. In those, uh, it, yeah. those episodes earlier in that, that season, where he's, like, you know, doing the, the orb of the emissary or whatever, and he, like, dreams that he's, maybe he's dreaming that he's Benny again, and so, like, that there would have been setup for it, but I just think it would have been, like, the goofiest fucking send-off. One oh, in the worst. Jeff Johns, Star Trek. Right. Campaign, where it's just <laughs> all about stories
4: uh, and centrism. Uh, Justin, what about you? What was your favorite send-off? Oh, I I love the clip show thing. I think I think it's great, but I'm also I'm also a, an emotional hack, so I completely understand that, that why it's frustrating. I get it. <laughs> My favorite send off is the the scene between Kira and Lieutenant Null hmm. in the in the uh, I, office.
0: That's
5: very good. That was really well done.
0: Yeah,
4: I really really like that. Like not only it's because it's very definitive and ending, right? Mm-hmm. Like
5: it's, it's very, it's
4: very definitively kind of setting these people up either for, for inclusion in other shows or like maybe the EU books, which they kind of started to do with, with Julian and, and Esri and Kira. But I just, I love the fact that they're acknowledging that the station is still operational. It still needs a commander. It still needs a staff and there's still work to do. And there's that, we we've talked a lot about like how really a lot of these actors kind of bring a lot of really neat texture to the characters that they're playing and like just with physical business and stuff and like the the scene between Dog, like and Kira, just dialogue wise, is very neat and clean and it, it sets everybody up, but just that little moment where Kira realizes that the baseball Yes! Was I cried. I bawled. Yeah. I will yep straight
0: up admit it. Can confirm.
4: Only that you know it's so it's so charged not only just with what we know of Cisco and what we know of Cisco's influence on the station itself, but it's just so perfect for Kira to not only just because her her whole existence is kind of tied up in totems and, and and rituals and like all sorts of like dogma. And this is her just finally, like, like y'all said, just becoming her own person. She's stepping up be- to the mound. Mm-hmm. And it's because right. she its because she served with Cisco, And it's because she served with Miles. And it's because she served with... It's just... I love it so <laughs> much, you guys. It's- I love it so much. I'm literally trying to will tears back into my face <laughs> right now. <laughs> you can't do it. It's just, I love it so much. And it's so simple. It's just she just she just picks it up. She just picks it up. She just looks at it. She throws it a little bit, and she just gets back to work. It's just so it's so emblematic of who Kira is, was, and now is. It's it's just a perfect place to leave her.
0: Well, and also from a writing standpoint, you know the the baseball in the past has been the symbol of Cisco will be back. So like mm-hmm. I, it, again, it makes me wish like they hadn't literally made Avery Brooks say. I'll be back yes. they didn't I'll,
5: because they didn't need to. But they do didn't that. need to,
4: right? And all of that Bejor stuff is so—it's like you genuinely do think, or it, it get, you get the sense that you are just like, "Well, shit, how are we gonna? like we we've got all this stuff about Bajor, and we haven't touched any of it." And they're just like, "Well, just like put him in a white room, I guess." <laughs> and like, and and it's just like it's so—it's frustrating because everything else is so fully realized and so baked. That it definitely calls attention to the fact that that was not fully baked,
1: and i uh I don't know if I want to bring this up or not. I'm gonna do it, so Caitlin, when you and I first met, you made me sit down and watch another show by Ron D Moore called Battlestar Galactica. That is true, yes, and Battlestar Galactica mm-hmm. and Deep Space Nine, aside from sharing like Ron d Moore is kind of like this. Uh, guiding Hand and things like that. I think they both have a lot to say about not only science fiction and the nature of war, but also how religion plays into that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One million. And dads. like with the prophets, with, you know, the Cylons, with. Also, both pilots, shows have a lot like, to say
0: about fatherhood. Right.
1: And. Oh, yeah. A lot of. Just. Dead dads. Yeah. These shows. A <laughs> dads. The, the end of DS9 just kind of reminded me a lot of like. I think Ronde Moore knows what he wants to say about war, but he's not sure what he wants to say about religion, because you know the the poway stuff just completely falls flat. You know, it's just like okay, it's you like fulfilled he knows there destiny. should be a
0: cultural base to
1: what's happening, and then right. like
0: religion is a powerful and dangerous, and to him at least, very scary thing.
1: Right, and it's like okay, like you, you fulfilled your destiny, check, done. Now what? Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, he knows the ending of war is you have to come back home. How do you come back home? What does that look like? But, like, because religion doesn't have an amorphous, like, end point, it doesn't have a goal. Mm-hmm. I think he has he has problems ending that. You know, you, well, you bring you, it up with got, Cisco. you've know, you got the final five. You've got, like,
0: like, like Starbucks disappears and then Starbucks comes back. Right. Well, what was the meaning of that? Uh, uh? uh
4: yeah, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely flimsy, and it's like you you get the sense that he's definitely slapping at something interesting, and it's it's definitely it's it's interesting texture and world building for sure, but it just it would have been so much stronger if it was just hung to something else, a little bit more tangible, just within the actual scope of this final episode,
1: right? And it's at one point it has oh. to stop becoming text and has stop becoming subtext and become text.
5: Can I ask a question? As far as religion and Deep Space Nine goes, um, by the end of the ce- uh, the series run here, is Avery Brooks more Benjamin Sisko or is Benjamin Sisko more Avery hmm. Brooks? I, yeah, Has he's, anybody he's seen Brooks. this guy in the last 15, 20 years? He is the coolest, like he most is. kind of spiritual, like way. It's almost like there's a, I'm not sure where. One picked up and the other left off.
0: Oh, absolutely. He had a lot of influence <laughs> over that character as well. And I mean, we're, we're, we're kind of ragging on the, the decisions that were made with the writing. But Avery Brooks, uh, from what I was reading on, on the background of the episode, he had a lot of issues with they were originally going to have him, you know, disappear into the ether. And he's like, so my my black captain that I play is going to leave his pregnant wife
2: and on his the black station, son and his, so his
0: son... Without a father. Who and that's ha- how we're ending the series. And so I think that did influence, like, ultimately where they were like, we have to, like, put it in there that he's coming back in some form. Like, that he's he's got this higher calling, but that, like, he still cares for his family and he's not abandoning them. But yes, Avery Brooks had a lot of impact over who Sisko was. Absolutely.
5: Oh, yeah. 100%. He's such a presence. You can tell that he must yeah, have been a huge is. presence behind the scenes, too. So. hmm
1: That kind of wraps up this episode. You know, just this episode of Star Trek, I should say. Mm -hmm. I just want to take, like, ten minutes to kind of just talk DS9 overall. Katie, I know you and I were talking earlier this week that, like, we both love Vic Fontaine. (laughs) (laughs) He... (laughs) And he should just be in more stuff. He
3: should. He adds comedy, but he adds drama. He's comforting... One of my favorite um, episodes in the series is where Nog just commits himself to remaining in Fontaine's world. He's suffered trauma. He's lived through the Dominion War. But he is coming back with no leg and severe PTSD. And he doesn't know how to cope. Rom, love him to death. But Rom is not a pillar of strength for Nog. At least in this way. He's a pillar of strength Mm -hmm. in or Ram is a pillar of strength for other reasons to Nog for his brain and for his ability to stand up to cork and yada, yada, yada. But Nog doesn't have what he needs within the people around him. And he finds it in this hollow suite, um, which is just poetic for cork. But (laughs) just watching Vic, let Nog feel pain, let Nog realize who he is kind of on his own, but with a guiding hand, Vic, Vic is a good character.
2: Yeah,
1: and it's always great when they can just end an episode with like, "All right, let's just play a jazz standard and roll credits," <laughs> and like,
4: it's beautiful. Yes, and I love
1: it.
4: and there's, we didn't touch on it, but there's a beautiful scene between Vic and Quark in this episode. Yeah, he's like, okay. trying to, he's trying to kind of contextualize or grapple with himself being the person left behind and Vic just straight up calls him out on him. He's like, yeah, it's, it has to be hard to be the one that's still here. And it's like, that's valid. You have to express that or you're going to die. It's just like, it's so funny how like Star Trek is, Star Trek is able to like, take these kind of broad character archetypes or like these kind of ideas of a character and then spin them into something genuinely effective and like, wise and emotionally fulfilling for their foils yeah Yeah. definitely
1: caitlin what are some things from ds9
0: that just like stand out to you outside of you know this last episode well i think we talked about it a little bit but like i really enjoy the fact that there this is an ensemble show where there's multiple people at like a high level of exposure throughout the series but with that even in mind, there's a huge cast of tertiary characters that still have full arcs and things they're going through and things you care about and when they show up, it's awesome. Um, And I think for me that character is Martok. Mm. Because, you know, he shows up, you know, you first encounter him as the changeling replacement and he's an asshole and he's this just complete jerk. And then you find out that, like, the real Martok is not only alive, he's actually a really good dude. And he is able to communicate with Worf in a way that very few diehard Klingons are. Um, Mm -hmm. And and again, accepting him into his house and the whole stuff with Jadzia and what that means to marry into a Klingon family. He shepherds that really nicely. Um, And then him showing through the Dominion War, his ability to lead Klingons in a way that is honorable beyond the word honorable mm-hmm. and actually showing it with his actions over and over and over again. And being what, you know, you see it, especially in his interactions with Worf, where in the aftermath of like Jadzia's death, like he's the one who gets through to him with, you know, just simply sparring with him and like sparring to the point of like almost murdering each other. Right. But like, he's like, Klingons. Hey, Hey, <laughs> want to go to Stovacor? And he's like, yeah, fuck yeah, let's do it. And that's exactly what he needed in that moment when everyone else failed. Yeah, And the fact that, like, you've got this, you know, in, in any other Star Trek show would be, like, a brutish, you know, egotistical Klingon. Like, he's actually, like, a good dude. And good for Martok for being a good dude.
3: Like, I like that. And yeah. he interacts with Worf's son, Alexander, when they're on that ship, and there's a scene where it's just Alexander and Martok, and Martok's just trying to be like Papa Wharf to him, like he's trying to be his grandfather and get the kid to be a good soldier, but also understand his value and that it's okay if he's not the best soldier in the Klingon army, that they need others.
0: Like... And he, he doesn't infantilize Alexander, no, either. No, he's not
3: like, oh, you're a baby, you were raised by human Like, he recognizes this is a Klingon, and he may not be a, mm. a warrior, like I think of slapping my chest and killing, you know, anything in my path. But he recognizes his value, and, and that's why Martok is so great.
0: Well, and he's not caught up in Worf's insecurities about it no. either, because the thing in the, the episode you're talking about, Worf is caught up in, oh, they're making fun of him, they're treating him like the jester, like he's the fool, and he doesn't even know he's the fool. And, and Martok really has to kind of bring him back down to Earth and be like, you're freaking out about this, but, like, this kid has to make mistakes. Right. And it's, it's like, it's just such a normal parent moment where you're like, oh, yeah, like, he's got to screw up or else he's never going to learn. Right.
1: Derek, what about you? Anything DS9, just in general?
5: Yeah, um, there's an episode uh, in, earlier in the season. I think it's season five, uh, Trials and Tribulations,
1: <laughs> yeah,
5: or Tribulations, <laughs> uh, where they do this kind of Forrest Gumpish um, mishmash of DS9 and the original series, um, where the uh, the the tribbles first showed up in the original series, and it's like one of the time travel kind of Star Trek episodes. And as a piece of technical work and as a piece of writing and uh, as a piece of direction, uh, I, I, I just found it to be one of the most interesting things about Deep Space Nine outside of all the character stuff that we've talked about was the way that they were able to kind of explore that, that mashup there uh, and really pull it off. I mean, if you go back and you watch that episode, it's not a two-parter, so it's not part of our purview. But if you go back and you watch that episode, you'll really be amazed at how good it looks considering, you know, 97, 98 when it was shot. Uh, 96, maybe. So.
1: Yeah, and you you can't see the scenes. Mm-hmm.
5: It's, it's fantastic. I love that episode. Yeah, it's
1: very, very good. Justin, uh, anything about Deep Space Nine that you are going to miss at least until you watch it again.
4: Yeah. Until, yeah. (laughs) I I get like closer to Christmas and go like, I should just watch TS9 again. No, you guys have all really nailed it. And, and like with Caitlin was saying, like it being such an ensemble show and it being so completely focused on always being an ensemble show, I feel like definitely sets it apart from the normal star Treks or kind of like the, the, the thing that an idea of a star trek that you have but even just beyond that the fact that it it gives you a larger point of view into the institutions of star trek like it's not only it's um, it's examining the federation in a way that you'd never seen it's giving you looks of other factions and like other planets beyond the federation's uh, viewpoint and not only that but it's like saying it's giving you genuine like complex storytelling within what you know and feel as star trek and it's they're not always the good guys like you're just trying to live in space and like that's the thing that always struck me about deep space nine is that it was more than just a star trek show it was always just about people within star trek
1: i think the thing i'm gonna miss the most the thing that like i absolutely loved any time it came up and, like, the ultimate, like, Christmas present ever would just be, like, an audiobook of Avery Bo- Brooks just talking about baseball. <laughs> like, I could listen to that man just wax philosophical about baseball forever. <laughs> You know, take me out to the hall suite. Like everybody's like, "Oh, it's a joke episode."
0: No, no, it's it's the best. It's perfect. People who say it's a joke episode should not be your friends.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they they don't understand character development at all either. Because you're exactly right. Right, he can talk about baseball, and it's 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 amazing.
1: Yeah, and and you get, like, this very beautiful moment with Rom.
0: Oh my god, and, like, I, like, seriously, I had forgotten that that was a part of it, and when he, like, turns on the crowd for Rom at the end, I, like, lost my mind. It yeah. was so good. Yeah,
1: I think that was, like, uh, when Rom, like, did the bunt. Uh-huh. I think that was like one They're of the like, few bunt, moments
0: bunt. that,
1: like, I I legitimately like fist in the air, like uh-huh. hell yeah! It was like that, and then when uh, Odo and Kira kissed on the promenade, yep, like
2: pumped. just like
1: fist like straight up in the air, like hell yes, we're doing this! Like yeah, it's just it's it's very good storytelling, you know. It's mm-hmm. it's weird to think that the show is is twenty years old and it still delivers,
4: you know. Mm-hmm when you when you keep watching it or when you've seen it a couple times especially after your first time you just you completely understand why it's become this benchmark for serialized television writing like you hear all of these people like the the Westworld writers or the people that are writing on Watchmen and, and even Brian Fuller just being like yeah we we all all watched deep space nine And we all loved Deep Space Nine because it showed us we could do more with like our dumb little genre things. Like it can be more than just rubber masks and like monstrous weak. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It can tell better, more complex stories. It can do things with character and serialized narratives that they hadn't done before.
1: So the one thing. That I want to bring up that is really cool that we were talking about earlier with uh, CGI ships versus models. And this is something I found out doing research uh, for this episode. Deep Space Nine was a model yes. all the way until the last shot. That is the only time they use a CG Deep Space Nine. That's wild. It's freaking awesome.
4: <laughs> I think I knew I knew that it was a model, but I didn't know that, that that's, that's insane. Yeah. So they just built built or like scanned in the model yeah, to a computer probably yeah
1: probably oh, but yeah that's the the final shot is the only shot
5: in which deep space 9 is cg and i so finally glad got it right <laughs> right and, and they were like all right frank we'll put it in we'll put you yeah. <laughs>
2: last
1: shot I'm
4: just thank you sure. What garage is that model sitting in somewhere? Like does Brandon Berman like go out to his uh (laughs) where he has all of his cars and just be like,
5: Well, there's the DS9. I hope it's it's one of those glass top coffee tables.
0: It's probably gonna go it's probably gonna go to the Smithsonian because a lot of the um older Enterprise models went to the Smithsonian. So I imagine at some point there will be an exhibit with all of like the model era ships. And we will go. Well, Air and Space, like, I think the last time we were at Air and Space, they had the the they original have... mm-hmm. uh, 60s Enterprise behind glass, kind of near the lobby. And you could, like, press buttons and hear, like, Michelle Nichols talk about the Enterprise. It was great. <laughs> yeah. I hope they bring DS9. Like, I would. That would be incredible. We would go so fast.
1: Um, Derek, Justin, Katie, Caitlin. Oh, my gosh. So many people. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Um, just
5: closing thoughts, Derek? I'm going to miss Deep Space Nine. I have reservations about going into uh, Voyager. I I I've never really have been a Voyager person as a Star Trek fan, and I've never really paid that much. I've seen an episode here and there, and it's not bad, but I, I've never really gotten into it as a show, so I'm kind of curious, but I'm also a little sad to see DS9 go
1: yeah i think we all are justin any final thoughts
5: well
4: i mean honestly i'm glad that you got a chance to see the show finally um like hot take it's a good one but it's yeah it's just like it's it's always been set up set above the rest of the, to me i actually just re i just watched voyager for the first time uh like a year ago um and it's not as good a show <laughs> as ds9 weirdly enough um thanks but, justin <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, but it's just, yeah, it's just so great, and it just continues to be great. I, I'm i excited to see where you guys go
3: next.
1: Fantastic. Katie,
3: any closing thoughts? Um, I will just forever be grateful that this was my entrance into the Star Trek universe, because I think it really, I mean, it sets the bar incredibly high, and it just shows it shows mm-hmm. me what could be and what would make a great show, and what a good show might lack, um, not even just within the Star Trek universe, but I know I said earlier I was a trash human who has watched my crime dramas and my medical dramas, but it has set the bar for when I see previews for upcoming things. I think, can it compete? Can I can I see a Garrick Bashir-type relationship? Are we going to see the character arc of Akira? And so I just, I owe a lot to the show, uh, both personally and... Even emotionally, just thinking back, it's it's pro- allowed me to process things through, through Garrick or through Bashir getting dark and twisty or through Kira's angst and um, religious issues. So just reflecting and grateful.
0: It's good to hear
3: Caitlin. Any closing thoughts?
0: I mean, DS
3: 9s great. I mean, you
0: look at all of the the Star Trek series that are out there. And, you know, I grew up primarily with TNG, but, you know, knowing that, you know, Voyager is very goofy and Enterprise is sure Enterprise. Um, <laughs> and, you know, the, the newer series being what they are as well, DS9 was was something special. And it was something that pushed the boundaries of television at the time. And I think again, we've all, you know, said here, it it holds up, which is just wild. And the fact that for, for seven seasons of a show, you're deep in season seven and it's not falling apart the way you think it would. Right. For a show that, you know seven seasons in normally shows, you know, like that peak around season five. And you get diminishing returns every season thereafter, right? And, and DS9 just doesn't do that. It, it's just all rise. And the fact, you know, the, the, the ensemble nature of it, the fact that they've got multiple layers of things going on, multiple uh, conflicts that, you know, are kind of always there that they can play with, but don't fall into these, you know, stereotypes or archetypes to the point where it's just so rote. Um, you know, there's dimensionality to everything they did on that show, or at least they try to do. Um, there's some there's some belly flops in there. Um, I still maintain that Odo should have belly flopped back into the Great Link. But <laughs> anyway, uh, that would have been a hell of a way to end it. It's it, it, it's just something special. And you watch it again, and you're like, well, well, damn, let's just start it over. Right. <laughs> it's it's that good. Well,
1: thank you all so much for joining us. Um, We will be back next week with a brand new episode exploring the far-off reaches of the Delta Quadrant. Because we're jumping into Voyager. We got a fancy new captain. She kicks ass. Don't worry about it. The
0: back.
3: It's oh, weird. Marquee.
1: Yeah, the Maquis back. That's weird. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Voyager's weird. But we're going to explore all of that in the coming weeks. As always, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at 2Star2Trick. Two two and until next time, to be continued.